I want to read to you a letter I received from this young woman. She writes, I've always believed that God exists, but I never cared because it wasn't important to me. I only prayed when I needed something. I had a very beautiful childhood up until I turned 11. When I turned 11, my cousin tried to sexually abuse me. This went on every summer until I turned 14. He never succeeded, but he also never gave up. At age 15, I got drunk for the first time. When I started high school, I started taking drugs, weed, LSD, and more. I got drunk every week. I was stealing money from my parents and sleeping with guys. When I was 16, I went to a Catholic church with my friend, and I realized that I wasn't doing the right things and that something was wrong with my life. I remember kneeling and crying at the church, calling to God and telling him I couldn't live like this. And then God started sending people into my life. People like my future husband and the missionaries that worked at the church. They told me about Jesus. When I was 18, I stopped drinking and doing drugs. When I was 19, I started going to church with Noah. That's the missionary in Slovakia that we support. And that year, Noah, you, and Jeff Barnett invited me to camp where I heard about Jesus. And things started making sense to me. I started going to church regularly. That March, I gave my life to God because I had a tumor on my ovary. In the hospital, I asked God to let me know that he was with me because I needed him. Five minutes later, I received a text message from Jeff Barnett. He sent me a verse, Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And that's when I gave my entire life to God. Around that time, God started healing other wounds that I had. And I also became aware of sin in my life and things that I wasn't doing right. God made a lot of miracles in my life. And it's amazing that I can still continue to know his grace and love and that I can still trust him. I don't have to be afraid because I know who I believe in. He's my savior and my friend, my God, my father. I know that he is perfect and that he is perfect in everything he does. I know that with him, I will get through everything. I've been married for three and a half years. My husband and I love kids. We kept telling ourselves that we are going to have a huge family. When we got married, we received a verse that said, you will be a father to many. We laughed about it and dreamed about how we were going to have a lot of kids. In the last two years, we lost five children. 
The last two years have been full of depression and blame. I blamed God for what happened. Even though I saw that God used it for good in someone else's life. This year in June, it happened for the fifth time. This time it was the worst because I also had to be hospitalized. After I was released from the hospital, I didn't want to go outside. I didn't want to see anybody. My husband and I are part of the worship band, but I didn't want to sing. Up to this point, this young woman has been nameless to you. But maybe you've noticed something. Maybe you've noticed the pain in her life. Maybe you've noticed the hand of God in her life. Maybe you've noticed the hurt in her life. Her name is Vero, and she's my friend. Vero is from Velky Kurtish, Slovakia. Vero is a gypsy. Vero in her life has seen a lot of joy, but she's also felt a lot of hurt. I want to welcome you to another week of our sermon series called Nameless to Notice, in which we've explored nameless characters of the Bible who get noticed for extraordinary things. Today, as we continue this sermon series, we're going to explore Two nameless women and their story, which is absolutely extraordinary. But what's very strange is what they get noticed for. They get noticed for their hurt. And now before we go further with our story, before we enter into the text today, I want us to know something right off the bat. I want you to know that when it comes to your hurt, your pain, your brokenness, your loss, your despair, your dejection, I want you to know that God knows. And I want you to know that God sees and God hears and God understands. And so I invite you to stand, if you are able to stand, As we read from our memory verse in Psalm 139, verses 1 through 3. And I invite you, if you're able to read, to read along with me. And I don't just want to read. I want to declare these words, to proclaim these words like they actually mean something to us. Like we actually truly believe in a God who is powerful enough and understanding enough to love us. So would you read with me, Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. So God, we come before you today. Our hearts are open Our ears are open. Our minds are ready to receive what you have for us. 
We need you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. So this morning, as we explore the story of two nameless women who get noticed for their extraordinary hurt, I must tell you that these two women are extremely different from one another. You've got one woman who's more like a young girl. She's actually 12 years old. How do I know she's 12 years old? Well, the Bible says that she's 12 years old. Now, the other woman is a little bit older. She's, shall we say, 29 years old. How do I know that she's 29 years old? I don't know she's 29 years old. But I heard that that's a safe age to call all ladies. Is that true? So we've got two, two women, very different. They come from different walks of life. They, they come from different social classes. They, they, they come from different age groups. But despite the differences between these two individuals, their stories are interrelated. Their stories work together. They're intertwined together like uh, bread and tuna fish. Of a tuna fish sandwich. And their stories happen to be located within the Gospel of Mark. So we could call it, I guess, a Markin sandwich. (laughs) Well, thanks, Ed and Yvette. I wasn't really trying to make a joke. But that's okay. I'll pay you after. Uh, I I really wasn't trying to make a joke. uh, But it's actually a theological technique used by the Markin author. This is actually a theological term. Uh, A Markin sandwich, a literary and theological technique whereby the Markin author interrupts a story with what appears to be an unrelated story. And yet often these stories are actually interrelated. So it's not the $5 foot long of the month at Subway. It actually happens to be something like in our story where we've got a top slice of bread, which in our story will be Jairus and his nameless daughter. Then we have the middle section stuffed in like a BLT is the story of the nameless bleeding woman. And then we will return to the bottom slice of bread, Jairus and his daughter. So with no further ado, let us indulge, that's a joke, in this Markin sandwich. So let's start with, I'm really funny, I know. It's okay. At any time, you can uh, feel free to laugh. Verse 24, I mean, uh, excuse me, verse 21 of chapter 5 from the Gospel of Mark. says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus crosses to the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, steps out of the boat, a large crowd comes around him, and here comes Jairus, the ruler or the leader of the synagogue. He comes to Jesus and falls down at his feet. 
Very strange, very odd. Jairus, whose name means one whom God enlightens, is sure going to be enlightened by God by the end of the day. His role as a ruler or a leader of the synagogue is multifaceted. He's got all sorts of responsibilities. He's responsible for the building. He's responsible for leading the worship services. He's also responsible for general administration type of stuff. We know that Jairus was relatively wealthy. How do we know this? We, we know that he had social power. We know that he had some sort of political power and religious power among the people. But he was relatively wealthy because he has a multi-roomed house. In our story, we discover that his daughter is in a separate room. Now, in the first century Palestine socio-historical context, ordinary folks, common folks, would have a house consisting of one room. I mean, imagine if we lived in one room with our whole household. Some of you may do that, but those are tight quarters, especially when you consider that some of the space was shared with the livestock. Gets a little close, a little dirty, a little messy. But Jairus, this relatively wealthy, powerful person comes up before Jesus, falls down on his knees and begs him. I mean, this is awkward. It's strange. It's abnormal behavior for this respected religious type of figure. I mean, think about how many obstacles Jairus had to climb over. How many things prevented him from coming to Jesus? He had to set aside his rank, his role in society, his prestige, his honor. He had to throw it all aside in coming to Jesus. But it means nothing to him. Because he sees in Jesus the divine power of God. He sees that that Jesus is a man and a teacher who has power from God. But we know that Jesus is so much more than a teacher and so much more than a man. He comes before Jesus on his knees and pleaded earnestly with him with a heavy heart. My little daughter is dying. The Greek is even more explicit. My daughter is at last gasp. She's on death's doorstep. So please come and put your hands on her. And then hear this phrase of confidence. So that she will be healed and live. There's no possibility here. It's not that so that she will be healed and might live. He's not saying, uh, put your hand on her so that she could possibly be healed and live. Perhaps be healed and live. No, it's firm. Put your hands on her so she will be healed. The faith that comes with it. Is incredible. The humility, the faith, it's powerful. And how does Jesus respond in Mark chapter 5, verse 24a? It says, So Jesus went with him. No words come from Jesus, he just simply goes. And now we are through with the top slice of the Markin sandwich. 
We are entering into the oven roasted chicken breast, the turkey, the meatball portion, the meat of our story. And for this, I need a faithful, fearless volunteer. Okay, Keith, I see your hand raised. Yeah, yeah, Keith, go ahead and stand up. Everyone get up for Keith. Uh, I have to ask you a question. Keith, are you uh, receiving any payment at this time from any Broadway shows? You are not. Okay, good. So now we can continue. Keith, for this moment and for this moment alone, not a moment before and not a moment after, you will be Jesus. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, 100% man, 100% God, the hypostatic union. You are the son of God. Are you up for the task? Okay, he's up for it. Look at that. All right. All right, I need everyone else to volunteer as well. Um, so you're all volunteered. You are the crowd from Western Galilee. Can you do that? You have no idea what this entails, but I think you can. So just make like a crowd noise, all right? Crowd noise. Angry crowd. For this moment and this moment alone, not a moment before, not a moment after, you will be the Western Galilean crowd. And for this moment and this moment alone, not a moment before and certainly not a moment after, I will be the woman. (laughs) Not a moment before, not a moment after. I, as the woman, am hurt. For 12 years, I've had to deal with a chronic hemorrhage, bleeding, from a ruptured blood vessel. And uh, this bleeding has caused a lot of pain, a lot of hardship. It's been debilitating, it's been impoverishing, it's been embarrassing. Some have said that this bleeding originates from my womb or my bowels. I, I, I don't know, I'm just bleeding, that's all I know. All the doctors have failed me, I've become bankrupt trying to find a cure. All human assistance has failed. It's debilitating. It's impoverishing. It's embarrassing, this blood flow. Now, many times when we come to the story of the bleeding woman, we think about the implications of ritual impurity. How she might have been uh, excluded from society, separated. She is maybe ostracized, but... While that might be true, I think that's rather peripheral to our story. It's not necessarily the centerpiece or the center focus of our story. I believe that the Markan author is showing us something different at the core of our story. So, as this bleeding woman, back to me, I'm hurt, I'm lost, I'm broken, I'm hopeless. And our story begins. Verse 24b, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. So, you are the crowd. It didn't say they grumbled. It says a large crowd followed and pressed around him. All right, so go ahead and stand up and follow Jesus. Yeah, I know, this is church. Maybe you thought you were just going to sit in a chair today. But, welcome to Journey. Um, Now I can really tell who wants to get close to Jesus and who doesn't. 
Okay, so it says a large crowd followed him and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd. Excuse me. Coming through here, woman bleeding, coming through. Excuse me. Hey, hey, just a helpless woman coming through. And she came up in the crowd because she thought, oh, she came up behind him in the crowd, touched his cloak. Where's your cloak? You you left it at home? (laughs) Because if I just touch his cloak, I will be healed. Does anyone have a microphone? Head leaves in her heart and acts upon it. it. Says immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around the crowd and asked, "Who touched my clothes? Who touched clothes?" <laughs> you see the people crying against you. His disciples answered, and yet you can ask, "Who touched me?" What I find beautiful here is that Jesus is in the midst of the crowd, but he cares for the individual personally. Sometimes we look around and it's easy to get lost in the crowd. It's easy to forget that God loves us each so personally and individually. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell. I guess my microphone is off if I fell at... This is feet. Feeling here told him the whole truth. Thanks. Told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. In Greek, it's hupage ace irene. Literally, go with all your parts joined together. So she experiences completeness and wholeness. Would you give it up for Jesus? And give it up for the crowd. And don't forget about the bleeding woman. Who is no longer bleeding and no longer a woman. This woman experiences wholeness. She experiences completeness. And it reminds me of one of my good friends. One of my best friends named Eric Hembert. And maybe you know Eric. He's been here at Journey before. He lives in Oregon now. But years ago, Eric was injured in a tragic snowboarding accident. And he is currently paralyzed from his belly button down. And we were praying all the time for his healing, for him to be able to stand up and run and walk. And it was hard. 
I remember when we first started Journey to the Church, before we had a, a building, I even think it was before we were in the backyard and started doing services, we met at Freedom Park by all these tables, and we set up a, a sound system, a really cool sound system since Jeff Foss was there, and he always brings the best stuff. But we were playing some music. I, I got to play on a little ukulele, and Eric came, and he played a song that he had written. And the chorus of the song has always stuck with me. It was, just one touch of your robe is all I need. He's obviously speaking about the bleeding woman and and her her plea and her cry and her, her action of going to Jesus and touching his robe and experiencing healing. Eric believed and had faith that Jesus could restore him completely. And I believe that Eric has been healed. I believe that Eric is being healed and will be healed. You may say, well, he's not walking. He can't feel his legs. He's paralyzed. But I've seen God heal his life in so many other ways that might even be more powerful than physical restoration. I've seen him healed emotionally. He's a much more whole, much more complete person, loving and tender, where bitterness and anger may have been in the past. I've seen him healed relationally. I've seen his relationship with his dad and with his family completely transformed. And it took an act like this to have his relationship with his father healed. I've also seen him healed spiritually, where his relationship with God is just Off the charts. He's been made whole. He's been made complete. And he's still in this process of healing. And you know what? One day, and maybe maybe it's it's on a heavenly day, he's going to walk. He's going to run. That's what I believe. But wherever you're at today with your hurt, maybe your brokenness, your pain, whatever may be going on in your life, There are plenty of ways for you to deal with it. Our world offers a whole host of options for you. A grocery store variety for you to soothe your hurt. But I'll tell you what. Whatever drink, drug, or relationship, whatever amount of social networking... social media you do, whatever TV shows you watch, whatever you try and stuff your life full with and purchase and purchase and purchase, you're wasting your money and you're always going to be let down. Because there's only one who can offer complete healing and restoration. His name is Jesus. And Jesus doesn't mess with the symptoms. He goes straight down to the core and says, let's work on this. Let's heal this. And wherever Jesus goes, healing, goodness, peace, restoration, it follows. So here we are at the Markin sandwich. We're through with the first slice of bread. We've now finished the middle section and we are moving on to the bottom slice of bread, back to the story of Jairus 
and his daughter. And here our text continues. Mark chapter 5, verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? These words to me represent a, a loss of faith and a turn to hopelessness. It stands in stark contrast to what we just heard the, the bleeding woman say. And, and what Eric was saying, just one touch of your robe is all I need. But here you have these people, lack of faith, hopelessness. But it makes sense, right? His daughter's dead. And death is the end. It's final. It's got the last word. It's all powerful. It is oppressive. There's no coming back. But Jesus ignores what they say. And verse 36, he, our text then continues. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Sounds great. Don't be afraid, just believe. Believe what? Believe in what? Believe about what? For what? Jairus, Jairus must have said, well, Jesus, I did believe and I came to you. Despite all the obstacles and oppositions, I came and fell at your feet. And I believed you could heal my daughter. But I think Jesus is asking him to take it a step further. Believe, Jairus, that I can raise the dead. Our text continues, verse 37. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But wait a second. We, we just heard that she was dead. Jesus says that she is asleep. Well, is she dead or is she asleep? The answer is yes. Yes. See, what, what I think Jesus is getting at is that death, at least in the Christian tradition, is called sleep. Not because we're trying to pretend that it's not real, but to deny that it is ultimate. Death, at least in the Christian tradition, is called sleep. Not because we're trying to pretend that it's not real, but to deny that it is ultimate. And at this notion, what happens in verse 40? The people just laugh at him. Can you continue there for me, please? In verse 40, it says, But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kom, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. 
immediately. The girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Because I thought death was supposed to have the final word. I thought that death was all powerful. I I thought that death couldn't be defeated. But Jesus overpowers and overcomes death. And he raises this girl from the dead. Resurrection is the victory over the power of death. And the fear and the hurt that it injects into human life. Our next verse has something very strange in it. And it's something that I I felt like maybe I should just leave this verse off. Because I might confuse people with verse 43. But that would be doing injustice to the text and injustice to the story. It says, he, that is Jesus, gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So he tells them to to keep it quiet. This incredible healing miracle that he just performs. Well, this is something that is larger within the gospel of Mark, known as the messianic secret. Where Jesus often heals somebody and then tells them to keep quiet about it. There's a lot of different reasons for this. There's reasons historically, theologically, and literarily, or literary reasons for it. But what I think is probably a clearer explanation is that you can't know Jesus until you know Jesus crucified and Jesus resurrected. You cannot fully know who Jesus is until you get the whole picture. And so we have this continual, be quiet, be quiet. Don't tell anybody yet because you don't know what is completely going to happen. The suffering, the death, and the resurrection. Okay, that's great. Some interesting stuff, Mark and secrecy, whatever. But how are these stories connected you said at the beginning that they were, they were interrelated like a sandwich of some sort. But all I see are two different stories. Two different healing stories. The bleeding woman and Jairus' daughter are both images of Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection. As the bleeding woman experienced suffering... So too, Jesus experienced suffering. As Jairus' daughter experienced death, so too, Jesus experienced death. But the story doesn't end there, because just as Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead, so too, Jesus was raised from the dead. I want to welcome the band back up as we begin to close today. And as we do so, I I want you to leave here with a phrase. Something that, that you can walk with. Something extremely applicable to your lives. It's a simple phrase. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. In what? In who? For what? Don't be afraid. Just believe. In Jesus.
in his power, in his authority, in his purpose. Don't be afraid, just believe. By putting courageous trust in Jesus, when you come face to face with all and any opposition, put that trust in Jesus. Don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe in the one who came to save sinners. The one who has redeemed us, the one who has made us whole, the one who is in the process of making us complete and renewed. Do you remember Vero? Remember Vero and her story about the hardship and the pain that she experienced? How we left her on a painful note? After a childhood of hurt, she experienced new life, only to seemingly be let down again, to end up in a place of hurt. Miscarriages, blame, depression, anger, isolation. She continues. Shortly before the start of English camp and Rachkova Dolina, that's the camp that we do up in the mountains in Slovakia, I asked God to tell me something. He started to speak to me when we were having a worship concert at the tea house. It was hard for me to sing, but when I did, it was like I felt his love again. In a powerful way, I heard him speak to me. One morning, I woke up feeling very hurt, and I cried a lot. I prayed to God that He would talk to me because I needed to hear Him. You had a sermon that morning. It started with the words, Don't be afraid, just believe. And in the evening, as you were talking about hurt, told us to close our eyes. And here I want to walk through with you what I had them do. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to crowd around Keith. But I ask you to close your eyes. And with your hands, I, I want you to to make a bowl with your hands out in front of you. I want you to think about your life. I know it might be hard to do. I want you to think about your hurt. Maybe the things that people have said to you. You're not good enough. You're ugly, you're wrong, you're out of line, you're a failure. I want you to think about maybe the things that you've said to others that have hurt them. And I know it might be really hard to do, but I want you to think about Maybe the ways that people have hurt you. 
people who have done wrong to you. I want you to think about the ways that maybe you hurt someone else. you to take that hurt. I want you to take all that brokenness, all the despair, all the the shame and the guilt and the things that, that you carry with you every single day. I want you to take the memories and the nightmares and all of those things that, that have followed you everywhere you've gone. And I want you to place them in that bowl, that bowl in your hands. for some, I know that that bowl is heavy. I know for some of you, that bowl is overflowing with hurt and pain and brokenness and despair. Things that you've done and things that have been done to you. I know it's heavy. I want you to lift up that bowl. And I want you to give it to God. Say, Jesus, here's my hurt. Here's my brokenness. Here are the things that have been haunting me all my life. The things that I've carried with me. So, Jesus, would you take them? Would you make me whole? Would I have breakthrough in my life? I'm tired of living in a broken down state of mind. So, Jesus, I offer it to you. You're the one who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. And and Jesus, here we are, heavy laden, and we are asking for rest. So we know that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So God, we release this to you. We release our hurt, our brokenness, our pain, our fears, our anxieties. Because God through you and through your power we are able and we are capable to not be afraid and to just believe to walk and run and move and have our being with you Vero said I decided to give God all my pain. The entire time previously, I kept all the pain to myself. But he took it and I can now feel free again. This is one of the many amazing things that God does. Right now, I'm working as a foster mom for an orphanage. I serve in church by singing in the worship band. I'm happy and I don't feel fear. I know that all of this comes from God. God bless, Vero. So God, here we are. And we ask for your touch, your healing in our lives. And Lord, we respond to you in song with the cries from our hearts. So would you come and would you have your way in our lives? We love you, Jesus.